You're listening to part one of our conversation about being radical, traditional, and feminist, and how that applies to social justice. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Radical Traditional Feminist Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, the Idea Dynamo, Samantha Pierce. My co-hosts are Sarah Hamasma and Nikki Park, and we call ourselves the Weird Sisters because we're a bunch of nerds, and I could not pass up the chance to make a Shakespeare and Terry Pratchett reference at the same time. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Yes. This episode of Radical Traditional Feminist, we are discussing the elements of the categories radical, traditional, and feminist that we think apply to us. So let's get started with this category, radical. What is radical about us? Nikki, do you want to start? I'm looking just at the definition of the word radical and um, there are a few definitions, but the one I'm focusing on is very different from the usual or traditional, which would then seem to negate one of the thirds of our (laughs) podcast title, but as we'll explore, it doesn't uh, in terms of our personalities. Um, And just in terms of my own personality, I have always felt very different from the usual. Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of my roles in church, I often feel very different from the usual. Um, and yeah, in terms of how I interact with people, things like that, I always feel different from the usual. (laughs) Um, oh, I've lost the other, um, the other definition I'm seeing here says favoring extreme changes in existing views, habits, conditions or institutions. Mm. And I think it's safe to say that we have gone through a very turbulent year that has shown us what we need in our worlds, in our institutions, in our own lives that could use some change. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the radical title is being open to even just those conversations. Right now, what in the world we're living in with everyone having a hot take, it's a radical stance to just be willing to listen. And Sarah, how about you? How do you see, how do you see yourself or us as being radical? So I love what Nikki said about listening and um, having conversations, which has become a more radical concept. Another thing that I I just want to note before talking about myself particularly is um, I was reading about a, a pastor who works with a lot of young adults. And she said she was meeting with them in a room um, for the group that met from their church and, and was trying to find out, you know, what is it about the church that's different from regular life for young adults? And what the young adults pointed out was that the way that the church actually um, creates community is a completely radical concept compared to how communities exist outside the church. The idea that they're intergenerational, that maybe people have Uh, different views on things and so they're not just gathered by their affinity for a particular Mm. um, particular view of things or a particular activity but that people in the church are gathered uh, sort of in community despite differences and that that's a really radical concept Um, and included in that is that radical concept of being open and vulnerable with people uh, in community which is really uh just not a priority in a lot of the worlds we live in. We're very curated now. Mm. Uh, We're all trying to create a good version of ourselves to show everyone. 
Uh, and so it's sort of radical to engage in a vulnerable conversation about your own life with another human being. Um, so um, in that sense, I feel like uh, I fit the radical category in that I do like that kind of uh, community that's sort of complicated where you're really in pretty deep. Mm -hmm. um, but in general, the word radical, I don't think would ever be applied to me from the outside, from anyone watching me. <laughs> I am a white Minnesota Protestant. Uh, I come from German stock. <laughs> we are not known for our radical ways or our radical views. Um, Although there was that one guy, Martin Luther. He, he, he was German. <laughs> <laughs> True, very good point. Uh, Bonhoeffer, I think. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German. Mm. Yeah, pretty radical. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so maybe there's more history there than I'm acknowledging. <laughs> Minnesota Protestants, so not known for being <laughs> radical. Um, I would say the only way in which uh, someone in public might say they, they think I'm radical is because of my life views. So I ascribe to something called the consistent life ethic, um, which doesn't fit well within either political party. And so I think from either side, sometimes people think my views are a little a little um, wanting to shake up a little too much or wanting to change things a little too dramatically, mm -hmm. which would fall into that sort of radical category. Um, I would say another thing is, uh, I, as much as I don't identify uh, or sort of don't appear publicly to be a radical, I think over time I've developed more and more concerns about the limits of a moderate approach to fixing problems. Um, my, my personality, my sort of general um, my general way of thinking lends itself to a sort of moderated approach to thinking about solving problems. And I've just found over time that I think um, there are problems that are large enough that the church and our society needs to have a reckoning that's pretty big and not mm -hmm. incremental. Um, so I worry, for instance, that the church uh, of today is sort of the, uh, the church Martin Luther King was writing to um, in the letter from Birmingham jail. I worry mm. that there's a moderation that is not healthy, that mm. um, there's a sort of unwillingness to consider the possibility of large and significant and painful changes that need to be made. Um, and more broadly than that, um, I worry that the American church is really tied up with a consumerism and individualism that's so steeped in us that we are having trouble distinguishing it from uh, believing in the gospel. And um, and every once in a while when I'm in a dark mood, I wonder if the whole American church is just lost, uh, just completely, uh, including me. And that, it scares me. And so mm -hmm. uh, in that sense, there's sort of a, I, I worry that what we need is something radical to shake us. And maybe this last year is actually some of that. Maybe, mm. um, maybe that's going to be something that is an impetus for big changes. And I would love for that to be the case. Well, thank you for that insight. And for myself, as I was looking at the, the definitions of radical, I was reminded of the, the botanical meaning of the, of the word. It's one of my favorite things about the word is yes. it's got a meaning based in, meaning based in roots. <laughs> Yes. And, you know, I have a degree in plant science. So this really called to me the, the, the recognition that that radical is talking about proceeding from the root, which is, um, 
you know, when, when you have radicals growing off of plants, there has to be that solid rootstock there to support the growth. And that really spoke to me as a Christian, having read over and over again throughout my lifetime that we are grafted onto that vine, grafted onto that rootstock. And thinking about radical, I'm thinking about this being supported by that, that stock, being supported by that foundation to grow in whatever direction we need to grow. And so for me, radical is about thinking about how to shape my life based on the, what I'm receiving from that root, being grafted into the, the body, the family of Christ. And it comes down to me for thinking carefully about what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. To me, that's a radical way of thinking, going back to that foundation and growing my life based on the, the input, the food from that truth, that knowledge, that everything I have in me, everything that God made me to be is what I love him with. And it's also what I love my neighbors with. And also the, the living the fruit of the spirit, again, going back to that botanical meaning, you grow healthy fruit from healthy rootstock. And it's important to make sure that that, that rootstock, that radical <laughs> that, we, that we are grafted onto, make sure that we're actually living out what is what flows from that in a way that catches the attention of the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. When you talk to people and remind them that, you know, the Bible calls us to be gentle and kind and loving and patient and peaceful. Those are things that today seem extreme Mm -hmm. to people. Being gentle seems extreme. Being good seems extreme. Being patient seems extreme. Especially, Nikki, you're pointing out that we live in the age of hot takes. And... (laughs) You know, we're we're rapid fire from one thing to the next and everybody's got an opinion right away. But like the waiting to see what else develops and what else comes out, that doesn't happen much. And so waiting patiently to to figure out how do I love my neighbor, that's something that's that's radical in every sense of the word now. Uh, do either of you have any final thoughts on on what it is that, you know, what it means for us to be radical? You know, going back to the root uh, analogy, um, that's one thing when I say I feel a little slightly different than the rest, um, especially in terms of, of um, the church, the root is God. And mm. so that's unchanging for me. That's unshakable mm. for me. And you know, how, what comes off of that root, the radicals that come off of that root, I might be going, um, I'll just say, I'm going to be going left when most of the <laughs> radicals are going right. Um, but that root is what makes it okay. Yes. That yeah. root, it makes it okay for me to feel and think differently and know that I'm still a child of God. Yes. And I think that's the thing that ties us, the three of us together 
more than anything else that we recognize the importance of that root and understanding what it means that for each of us, all three of us to be grafted onto that root. And because we are three very different people, how we grow having been grafted onto that root is gonna look different. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, different is okay. Which is another one of those radical thoughts that that are going around these days because you know everybody's got to be the same think the same value the same things no no not really <laughs> yeah, the 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 next the next category to move to, that we're going to talk about is traditional as in what's traditional about us that perhaps people wouldn't necessarily expect just on a surface inspection Um, Well, I'll start. I am a stay-at-home mother. Um, I never thought growing up I would ever be a stay-at-home mother. Um, And, you know, there, for a lot of my beliefs and my thoughts, there are a lot of traditional gender roles in my home. Um, And what makes me not, you know, upset or bothered or frustrated by any of that is that it's my choice to be a stay-at-home mother. Um, it's my choice to make my husband his lunch every day for work. It's my choice to do all of those things. Um, but I do them and I do them joyfully, as joyfully as I can. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, and, you know, so I have, I have that. I have, um, in terms of, quote, what I do, I stay at home with my children Um, and if you had asked 20 year old Nikki, if this is what she was going to be doing, she would have been like, absolutely not. I'm going to be saving the world somewhere. I'm going to be kicking up dust. I'm going to be starting a revolution. (laughs) (laughs) That's not to say that I still might, you know, who knows, but yeah, I'm seeing the fruits of that in my kids and in my marriage and in my home. And it brings me a lot of joy. Yeah. Sarah, how about you? I think um, the word traditional is probably something people would be more likely to ascribe to me. Um, and I think it just depends a little bit who's looking. So um, in one sense, I'm, um, I'm a graduate educated professor and I'm not home with my kids. And so in a church setting, for instance, that's very untraditional. Um, but also um, I'm, to some degree, uh, as I think, I think the data demonstrates almost all American mothers are, I'm still the primary caregiver mm-hmm. among the two of, of us as parents, um, not by a lot, uh, not by a large margin, like uh, with many others, but, but still, um, um, the place that my family has in my life uh, has made it at times, um, it's been hard, harder to explain to my job then I feel like mm-hmm. it should be. Uh, I, I sort of feel very traditional saying I, I need this for my family or I have to prioritize my family right now. Um, in, terms of, in terms of thinking about theology and the church and beliefs, um, I think in some sense I'm traditional um, in sort of the creedal sense. I believe in the church creeds. I believe in the scriptures. Um, I'm hesitant to let go of things that even that I would like to, because I feel um, that there has to be a very good reason to set aside 
what Christians have believed for a long time. There may be times when Christians have just misinterpreted the Bible for a long time and we do need to change. Um, but I always, I, I find myself on the side of uh, believing that the burden of proof is high for those kinds of things, mm. particularly things that where I would like things to be different. I would like the church teaching to be different. Um, and so for instance, when I look at um, gender in the scriptures, um, there are things that I see that I don't prefer there and um, that I struggle with, um, but I don't find it as easy as, um, as some of my, I would guess, less, I would say less traditional <laughs> friends to simply say, it's old, don't worry about it. Um, I, I, even among Christians, kind of saying like, there's, those things were written a long time ago and like the, the stuff that doesn't make sense anymore, just don't worry about it. Uh, I'm much more likely to want to wrestle with it and try to figure out why it's there and what it's supposed to be teaching us. Um, and so in that sense, I'm, I, I can come across as traditional because I'm not willing to um, easily set aside what would be a traditional understanding of something. Uh, I think in public, it's a little bit trickier to figure out whether I count as traditional um, because of course, uh, within academia, it's not traditional to be religious at all. It's not traditional, certainly, to adhere yeah. to an ancient text. In fact, trying to think about how to describe uh, myself in a completely secular context, it is really interesting to just think what a what a wild concept it is to say I follow uh, I follow this particular teacher from two thousand years ago. I believe he's still alive. Um, I believe I'm going to be living with him forever, and I believe that the way we're supposed to live is is explained in these ancient texts. It's, there's almost no one I know <laughs> in academia who would describe themselves that way. And yet that's me. And so, uh, so I'm traditional in a historic sense, but not within my profession. And certainly, for instance, my idea of sexual ethics is uh, traditional compared to my surroundings. And that's something that I'm continuing to think about as I'm in um, some of the research that I work in has to do with things like um, infant health and um, pregnancy and maternal outcomes. And, uh, and so I've been trying to think about what, um, what new lens I can bring to some of that work that I don't see anyone else bringing um, to that mm -hmm. kind of work. And so um, without it being something where my view on something uh, sort, of, sort of forces a certain answer to questions, I want open inquiry, but I want to sort of ask different questions that I think maybe aren't comfortable questions that people don't really ask uh, in, in the academic world, and at least in uh, my circles as an economist. There's a lot of work, for instance, done um, relating to what happens uh, when there's an unwanted pregnancy and what different options women have and how, what the outcomes are affected by those options. Um, but there's less done on why we have so many unwanted pregnancies. And I think that's partly because that's a less comfortable conversation. And uh, it seems to be more deeply about our behavior as humans, then people may want to go. Um, mm. And so, uh, so it's a lot easier to sort of treat pregnancy as something that has struck like, like cancer, or like an illness has struck, and then go from there and study it because it feels sort of somehow um, less like you're getting into people's personal business. But of course, if we're interested in the whole question of, of how it turns out that we have um, so many unwanted pregnancies, then we have to ask sort of more uncomfortable questions about how we, how we got here. Uh, and that's the sort of stuff I'm interested in um, finding a way forward on. 
um, in a way that could contribute to the broader conversation in my discipline. You know, it's interesting is your traditional Christianity makes your academic world radical. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yes, yes. <laughs> that's true. Yep. And for, for myself, I see that what is traditional about us is that we all do the things that are traditionally considered women's roles. And for the most part, we're okay <laughs> with that. I mean, there's, there's like the usual, you know, those, those human struggles, the human annoyances. <clears throat> but particularly for myself, those traditional female roles define everything else I do. Uh, I, I realized recently that when I am in a professional setting and I'm introducing myself, you know, if I'm up on a stage speaking, I will introduce myself first as a wife and a mother because that shapes everything else I do. Everything else that I'm doing, that disability advocacy, worrying about mental health, advocating for better mental health services, those I do because I am a wife and a mother. And for me, that's part of taking care of my family. Basically, I treat the whole world as if I'm their mom. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right. That's a great summary. <laughs> yes, that's, that's exactly how I work. I, I, I treat the whole world as if I'm their mom. And I want to make sure, do you have enough to eat? Are you warm? Are you comfortable? Do you know that you're loved? And in that Choices sense, world. Yes. And that and in that sense, I'm traditional. But again, to an outside observer, hmm, might not look like it is. I might look like I'm some crazy rabble rouser out in the streets at protests and pestering lawmakers and 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 things like that. But it's really all because I am a wife. I'm a mother and I care deeply about the people around me because, you know, I want to mother everyone. Any other thoughts about this traditional aspect of who we are? It's, it's definitely a balance finding the, how, how the traditional works in your family, I would say. Yes. Yes. Because, you know, that can stem an entire conversation mm -hmm. about division of labor and things mm -hmm. like that, which is going to look different for each family. So if someone saw my family and see, yes, I do the majority of the things inside the house, that might be a question for others when it's what just works for our family. Yes. Um, yeah. And even, you know, my husband will even say, I think I should do more. <laughs> and I'm just like, well, I mean, do it then, but I got it. <laughs> <laughs> I won't yeah, stop sure. you, but it's yeah. fine. <laughs> and well, I think, I think what, there is, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, um, I was going to say, I think one, one element of, of the traditional, particularly when it comes to the church and church history, um, I was reading an article, Nikki, that you gave, that you provided for us um, by Elizabeth Clark about the roles of women in the church going back to the time of Jesus that's recorded in the gospels and in the new Testament. And then through the first like three or four centuries of church history and beyond, 
And one of the things that I found was that actually what's traditional in the history of the church is that women are often doing things that fall outside of what the secular culture considered traditional. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that resonated with me. The, The fact that in Jesus's time, what was traditional was for men to have no interaction with women at all. But here he is talking to women, having relationships with women and shocking the heck out of his male disciples because apparently some of his disciples were women. (laughs) And that is something that happens over and over again in church history where women pop up and they're doing things in the church that are different from what the culture says are traditionally the things that women should be doing. So I think part of the, the, the history and tradition of Christianity is for women to add things to those traditional roles and be able to, I, I don't want to say break out of them, but be able to take what they, they bring to the, the traditional roles of the secular culture and also add this, this freeing element of Christian faith to it. <clears throat> you were going to say, Sarah? Yeah, this is uh, interestingly, this is sort of along the same lines, but thinking forward to the present day, and that is um, that there are always these gaps between um, what's traditional for women in the church and what's traditional for women outside the church. And I wonder if like the script is flipped a bit in the sense that um, that what you describe seems like women having a sort of more expansive role within the church and the perception today would certainly be that women are are allowed a smaller role within the church than they are in the secular society. Um, And I don't know, I I mean, there's a a couple obvious um, cases to be made that that's the case in terms of ordination of women and so on. Um, But there may be, uh, in the same way that that history seems to have been lost on us, we may also not really be seeing very clearly um, our present time Mm. and how constrained women are outside the church as well. Um, And uh, I think there's a sort of a sense that within the church, women are constrained in particular ways and outside the church, women get to be quote unquote, just like men. Um, I was just listening in on a (laughs) a wonderful conversation um, between four feminist scholars um, who have a a variety of views on abortion and we're discussing um, issues of feminism and equality and uh, and sort of where they weren't at all focused on abortion, but focused on this idea of sort of what's what does society need to do for women or what does society actually do for women? Um, and one of the one of them pointed out what which I thought was just so helpful that we we already put ourselves in a strange place when our goal is to be treated like men or to have yes. the same things as yes. men, because what that sets that sets up is a norm a normative idea that men are normative and women need to be more like them. And we need to create Mm -hmm. policies that allow women to be more like men. So we need to make sure, for instance, that they don't have to care for their children because men don't have to care for their children. So we need to have policies that free up women from having to care for the children too, to make them like men. 
Uh, and one of the speakers really pushed to say, um, there's two ways to get equality. Uh, the other way would be to, to draw men in to the caregiving, to bring mm -hmm. men along for the necessary caregiving that is foundational to all of human life, instead of trying to find a way to release all of us from caregiving, what would it look like for all of us to work together um, as caregivers and, um, and in the different ways that we contribute to that caregiving, recognizing that there are a lot of ways that that might look. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. And that to me was, it was just really helpful to think. So a traditional, uh, a traditional understanding of how the uh, sort of the secular feminist world would work would just be uh, a sort of a notion of freedom and equality um, but a sort of more nuanced idea of what might actually be going on is um, that there are constraints there that um, people aren't necessarily talking about. And it could be that we in the church could be, God help us, but we could be the leaders in calling men, for instance, to be more involved in their children's lives. We could be yes. the example yes. for the world mm -hmm. um, where men and women together recognize the incredibly important role of parenthood. Yes. Um, and so that would be, uh, in a sense, traditional, um, but not exactly aligned with, with um, what people think of as traditional within the church. And that brings us to the next category, what is feminist about us? And I think, Sarah, you pointed out ex exactly what I was, what I think about feminism in that we believe that the value of women is rooted in the fact that we are made in the image of God and should be uh -huh. treated as such, meaning that we shouldn't have to be like men in order to be seen as equal and having freedom. We should be right. free to be women however we define our womanhood. Mm -hmm. It means that those things that are tradition, those careers, those fields that are traditionally dominated by women, we should recognize that those are equally as valuable as those fields that are traditionally dominated by men. We should recognize that those roles that are traditionally filled by women, those need to be recognized and appreciated for the contribution that women make in those roles to our society. And in that way, we're feminist. And no, I don't want to be like a man. I want to be me. <laughs> okay. Preach. Yeah, I want to be able to make the choices that works best for my family. And if, you know, if it switches someday that I need to be the person working full time and my husband's home with the kids, in theory, if we were doing the same job, I would have liked to be paid the same as he was, you know, I, you know. Yeah. I, I'm very vocal about the equality that's necessary in society, um, specifically for women, um, and whether that means raising women up to the level that society has placed men, or if that means uh, more on the line of leveling the playing field. Period, and you know, praising a dad who's stepping up in the fatherly role and maybe taking a step back from work because his family needs him there. Um, not maybe perhaps not throwing him a parade and, you know, singing, saying, you know, this is the best man that's ever manned. Um, because that puts, 
that puts the person, you know, that puts the dad on a pedestal that other men are like, well, now I can't live up to that. No, we sh- it just needs to be a normal, you know, dad's gone a dad. It needs yeah, to be and- a normal part of society that a, a father can father, mm-hmm. a father can parent as well as a mother. And yeah, that's allowed. It's okay. Yeah. And as, as women, we've had plenty of experience with how not good it is to put people up on pedestals and be like, you need to parent like this person. Mm-hmm. It's the worst. No, 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 no. We don't need to, to advance the cause of women by creating dad guilt. Mom guilt is bad enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And how easy would it be, you know, if, if we're in a society that, that praises dads more for doing the parenting roles, um, you know, taking on more of that that gosh dad guilt i can't imagine what that looks like you know like let just let's not go there please uh-uh. <laughs> yeah i think there has to be some way of thinking about the, the the advancement for women can't rely on on pulling another group down to experience the problems that we've experienced um, through the you know centuries of mm. discrimination and lack of value placed on what we do. Um, And so to the extent that we can really think about feminism as something that serves everyone well, I think we're we're much more likely to succeed. Um, You know, isn't that part of the entire entire kind of problem with um, society dealing with social justice issues is perhaps the party that does wield more of the power feels that they're being pulled down. Mm, when the person quote underneath is saying this isn't fair this isn't right can we do x y and z to make this more fair that more powerful party feels like they're being pulled down and feels like they're having something taken away yeah and Mm -hmm. so you know and that's a tough thing to change people's minds about as we've seen yes indeed Join us next episode as we continue our conversation about being radical, traditional, and feminist, and how we apply it to social justice.